0: If I asked you, why did Jesus die for our sins? I wonder what answer you would give. Uh, I suspect that most people, at least uh, most Christians who have been taught anything, would say something along the lines of, Jesus died for our sins so that we could escape from the judgment of hell and go to heaven when we die. I think most people would say something along those lines. But it's interesting. Uh, you will struggle to find a verse in the Bible Which says it, at least in those words. Uh, Now, that's not to say that that answer isn't true. Uh, Wonderfully, it is true, and we'll see that in a few moments' time. Jesus did die for our sins so that anyone who believes in him will never have to experience hell, but get to enjoy heaven for all eternity. But I just mentioned that because there is a danger. That sometimes, without even realizing it, we can slowly drift away from what the Bible actually says. And we assume what the Bible says instead of rooting our answers explicitly in what the Bible says. Uh, occasionally, people uh, will email me with uh, questions or queries or just general emails and uh, when I reply to people if people have questions I will often seek to include in whatever answers I give um, in brackets Bible verses um, attached to the various things that I'm saying or writing and I don't do that to kind of look all spiritual and pastoral. That's not the purpose of it. Uh, The reason I do that uh, is because I'm very conscious that of myself, I don't have a great deal to say. Um, There are many people here who have had many more life experiences than I have. Um, Most people in this room, not all, But most are older than I am. Um, Many people in this room have families and children and know things that I do not know of as an experience for myself. And you could legitimately say, well, in that case, what right have I got to stand here and say anything? Um, Should I not be listening to others not speaking myself? And the answer is I should be listening to others. But the reason I can speak up here is because what I say up here isn't my own words. Uh, It shouldn't be just so what I think. It's what the Bible says. And as I say, when I write emails and Trustfully, when I preach, I try to root everything I'm saying in what God's word says. Because if God's word doesn't say it, then the words have no authority. They have no power behind them. Then if you noticed what Paul says to Titus at the end of this chapter... Remember, Titus was a younger man. We don't know how young, but from Paul's words, it seems he was relatively young. And in verse 15, after he's just instructed him to speak to older men and older women and younger men and younger women, he says to Titus, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. And the reason he could say that to Titus was because Titus's job was to preach God's word. And because that's the case, I in particular, but all of us, to the extent where we are sharing God's word with others, need to make sure that what we say is rooted in what God's word actually says. And with the introduction, what I'd like to do this evening is to look at Titus chapter 2, Verses eleven to fifteen to answer the question: Why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus die on the cross? Because in these verses, Paul tells us explicitly why Jesus died. He gives us at least three reasons why Jesus died. We're looking particularly at verses fourteen. At verse fourteen, where Paul writes. Of Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. It's that verse in particular I'd like to look at this evening uh, and using some of the verses around to, um, uh, to add extra detail but we're going to look at three reasons Jesus came to die and trust that you'll see how it is rooted in what God's word said so let's look at the first reason that Jesus came to die now look again at verse 14 Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed Paul tells us that Jesus died, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed or our sins. This is the picture uh, that Paul is creating. I want you to imagine a house. Uh, and imagine a house that is falling to pieces. Uh, the timbers are rotten. Uh, the stairs are rickety, The drain pipes hanging off the side of the building. The bricks are crumbling. The mortar is disappearing. And all in all, this house is falling to pieces. And outside the house, there's a sign. And the sign says, condemned. Appointed for destruction. Now, that house is what we are like naturally. Uh, Because of our sins... Because of our lawless deeds, uh, we have become not fit for service. God created us to be his servants. Uh, God created us to worship him and to be his ambassadors in this world. Uh, We're supposed to be like a little reflection of God in this world. But because of our lawless deeds, because of the ways which we've forgotten God, we've rejected God, we've turned our own way we become useless. We've become like that house with rotting timbers and um, dodgy foundations. And God says to us, as it were, you're only fit to be condemned. We are appointed for destruction. Our rebellion means that we deserve nothing but God's condemnation. But now imagine that a few weeks later, after seeing this house with the sign outside, you walk past that same house. And as you look at the sign, you realise that another sign has been pasted over the top of it. And this new sign says in red letters, redeemed. This house has been redeemed. This house has been bought. It has been saved from destruction. That's what Christ did for us when he died on the cross. Uh, the last thing, or one of the last things Jesus said on the cross was, it is finished, uh, which can be translated paid in full. Uh, Jesus paid the full price to redeem us. So although by ourselves we are deserving of destruction all we can look forward to is condemnation jesus on the cross paid the price for us he as this verse says gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed um, so the sign as it were outside our house is no longer condemned it's redeemed bought paid in full All the sins you've committed, all those things which are on your conscience, perhaps still, those mistakes of the past, those um, faults and failings and sins of the past, can all be forgiven because Christ gave himself for us on the cross. And we are redeemed. We have been saved from destruction as... Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, there is no more any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that's the first, most obvious reason why Christ died, why he gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from our sins. But that's not all Paul says. Uh, Did you notice what he said at the end of chapter 14? He says, Jesus Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. The second reason Jesus died for us is to make us special. Jesus died to make us special. Now, I need to explain a little bit more what this means because there is an idea uh, which is taught in churches and in many books uh, which says that uh, or encourages people to tell others that the fact that Jesus loves you so much shows how special you must be. Uh, Have you ever heard that? Perhaps you've been tempted to say that yourself to someone and say, Look how special you must be because Jesus loves you so much. But it's interesting, in the Bible, uh, love is never so much about loving someone because they are so wonderful. Uh, Love is much more about wanting the best for someone regardless of how wonderful they are. Um, God set his love on us, not because we were wonderful, not because we were special, but in order to make us special. Um, The reason we are special, if we are a believer, is simply because God has decided of his own free will to shower us and lavish us with his love. And the best illustration I could think uh, to show this is to think of a parent's love for their child. And I appreciate, unfortunately, that not all parents love their children as they should, but uh, thinking of a uh, family as it should be. And think of a parent's love for their child. Now, hopefully, you can see it'd be nonsense Uh, To say that your parents had you because you were so special. That's a nonsense, because you didn't exist. (laughs) The reason you are special to your parents, hopefully, is because they had you. That's the reason you are special. Uh, All parents think their babies are beautiful, don't they? Uh, Even if they're not. Um... I might be in a minority here, but most, especially newborn babies, in my opinion, don't always look particularly wonderful. As they grow up, they get better. But parents, when they look at their baby, they're the most special child in the world. Not because of what they look like, per se, but because they're theirs, because they had them, they came from them, and so they will shower their love on their child, completely outside of how wonderful or good they are and it's similar with us and Christ we're special to Christ because we have been given to him by his father not because of anything good in us not because Christ saw us and thought oh they would make a beautiful gift because of some intrinsic quality about us But we are special to Christ because we are a wonderful gift from his father. We are special because, if I can put it this way, God had us. Uh, The Bible speaks of believers as being born again. Uh, You're born the first time of your parents, and that creates a unique bond between you and your parent. Uh, But the Bible says we're born again, and we're born of God which creates a special bond between us and God and God has decided to set his love on us which means he is committed to do us good for the rest of eternity and do you realize uh, how that is so much better than if God loved you because of some wonderful quality in you. Because imagine, imagine if God loved you because of how great you are. What would that mean on the days when you're not so great? Because we're not always, are we? We have bad days. We have bad weeks. We have bad years. We're not always wonderful people. Perhaps we're rarely wonderful people. And if God's love for us depended upon what we were like, that wouldn't be a very secure foundation for God's love, would it? We'd have a bad day and we will think, does God still love me? Does he still want my goods? Is he still for me? But because God's love for us isn't based in us, it's because he has simply chosen to love us and make us special because he loves us, then we can be secure that no matter how bad we are, God still has a love for us. It might mean that he has to discipline us. In fact, the Bible says that. Those God loves, he chastens, he disciplines If you wander away from God, God loves you too much if you're a believer to let you wander too far. And that might be painful. The discipline might hurt. But nevertheless, you can't wander too far from God's love because nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's what Paul means in the book of Romans when it says, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If Christ died for us while we were still his enemy, how much is he going to be for us now that we have been reconciled to him as his friend? And that's what Paul teaches here in the end of verse 14. He says, Christ gave himself for us to purify for himself his own special people. God did not choose us because we're special, Jesus did not die for us because we're special. Jesus died for us to make us special in God's sight. That leads to the third and last reason, at least in this verse, there are other reasons. But the last reason that we see Christ died for us, look at the middle of verse 14. It says, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. We learn here that Jesus died to make us pure. He died to redeem us from our sin, to release us from condemnation. He died to make us special, to shower his love upon us. He also died to make us pure, to make us zealous for good works. Uh, You know, as believers, I think we have a tendency to emphasise the fact that God has saved us from the consequences of sin. And as we've seen, that's true. We've been saved from condemnation and we can praise God that we'll never experience hell if we're a believer if we're trusting in christ we will never have to spend a single millisecond under god's wrath but the bible goes further than that that is true but there's more jesus says that he didn't just come to save us from the consequences of sin hell but he also came to save us from sin itself Uh, let's go back to that house you remember that house uh, which was condemned, falling to pieces, but was redeemed and rescued. Now, wouldn't it be sad if for weeks, months, years afterwards, that house remained in the same condition? The timbers still remained rotten. Uh, no one did anything about the foundation. The drain pipe still was dangling from the side of the wall. Wouldn't that be tragic if it had been bought, but nothing changed with the house? Well, God doesn't do that. When God saves us, when he redeems us, he redeems us for a purpose. He redeems us to make us pure. He redeems us to make us whole again. And he, if I can say it this way, he sets to work on us. Uh, He starts to fix those rotten timbers He mends the drain pipe. He fixes the things which were wrong with the house. And he starts to change us. And he starts to make us more like Jesus Christ. The Bible calls it sanctification. He starts to make us more like Jesus Christ. Or as Paul puts it here, he purifies us. We're not saved because we are pure because nobody would be saved, because all of us are impure naturally. We're saved in order that God might make us pure, to make us good, to make us, as it puts it at the end of verse 14, zealous for good works. And in fact, earlier in the passage, he describes what this looks like in everyday life. Uh, I don't know if you noticed what verses 11 and 12 said. In verses 11 and 12, Paul says almost identical things, but in different words. And look what he says in verse 11. He says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. What Paul says there is Jesus didn't just die so that you could go to heaven. He did die so that you can go to heaven, there's so much more than that he died that you might live soberly righteously and godly in this present age Uh, soberly means with a clear mind it's more than just not being drunk Uh, it's about looking at life through the right lenses a bit like we were looking at this morning Uh, living soberly is about having a clear mind and seeing this world as God sees it And not seeing it through the eyes of this world. Uh, Paul says that God's grace teaches us to live righteously. That means fairly and honestly. Uh, It means we don't lie on our tax return. Uh, It means when we do wrong, we admit it to God, first and foremost, but also to others. We don't try to hide it. We are open and honest with our failings. We live righteously in this world. And godly, that means we live in, if you like, under the gaze of God. Uh, we don't do things uh, as though God cannot see what we are doing. Uh, as like little children trying to um, do something they shouldn't under their bed covers uh, from their parents. Uh, we can't live that way with God. We live under the gaze of God as though God is examining all our actions because guess what he is that is the way we ought to live that's why Jesus died that we might live soberly righteously and godly in this present age but to close Paul actually adds one more description of how we should live in this world He's described how Jesus died to redeem us from our sin so that we have no more condemnation to look forward to, uh, to fear, should I say. Uh, We've seen how Paul said that Jesus died to make us his own special people. Uh, We've seen how Jesus died that he might purify us to make us zealous for good works. Listen to what Paul says in verse 13. In verse 12 he says we should live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age. Then in verse 13 he says looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and saviour, Jesus Christ. You know as I've been uh, preparing this message, uh, that one verse, verse 13, um, has seemed to me more and more important. Uh, Of course, it's important we live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Uh, But there's more to it than that. Uh, One of my worries in our present society uh, is the uh, political situation that we live in. Uh, And when I say that, I don't mean I'm especially worried about Russia and Ukraine and um, the various political things which are going on which we all know about now, those things are concerning But that's not exactly what I mean uh, what worries me is about how much it seems Christians are divided over it uh, have you noticed this yourself uh, perhaps you saw it over the whole um, period of the pandemic and just in many other ways Christians who are uh, seemingly so anxious and Uh, fretful and even splitting in their churches because of these political things and yet what does paul say here he says we should be looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great god and savior jesus christ in a sense what happens in this world doesn't really matter in the big scheme of things We know how it ends, Uh, we win, or Christ wins, should I say. Uh, We know the ending already. Uh, We do not need to be eaten up with anxiety by the political situation that we are in. Uh, Perhaps nuclear warfare is on the horizon, and that is concerning, but it shouldn't lead us to despair. This world is always going to come to an end somehow, or other. The Bible tells us, I just wonder, have Christians forgotten that we're looking for a better hope? Not a hope which Wishi Shunak can bring or any other politician or leader can bring. We're looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To be absolutely clear, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be concerned about the things in this world obviously believers are suffering in ukraine Uh, we don't want to suffer ourselves do we Uh, i want to avoid persecution as long as i can in all good conscience but at the end of the day we shouldn't despair i remember watching actually it was it was when donald trump was elected a few years ago and on the tv screens they showed a lady who obviously was had voted for the other side and she heard the news that Donald Trump had been elected, and she literally lifted up her head and let out a wail of despair at the news that Donald Trump was president. But that should never be the reaction of a Christian. What have we to despair about? Uh, we may vote one way or the other, we should be diligent to vote for. Uh, someone who we feel is the right candidate in good conscience. But at the end of the day, we're looking for a better hope. We're looking for a better king. We're looking for a better kingdom where righteousness dwells. The Bible says that's why Jesus died, to give us that better hope, so that we can live our life with joy looking up. Looking for our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. He is a sure and steadfast hope, and let's not lose sight of Him. So, I trust those thoughts are helpful for us. If anyone asks you, uh, Why did Jesus die? uh, you've now got at least three answers. One, uh, He died to redeem us from our lawless deeds, He died to make us his own special people and he died to purify us and make us zealous for good works that we might look forward to a better hope and with those thoughts I've chosen uh, as our last hymn number 784 and it's a prayer to God to use our lives as best he sees fit it's number 784 take my life and let it be Consecrated, Lord to thee, take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. So let's stand to sing 784.